Welcome to Writer Writer Pants on Fire, where authors talk about things that never happened to people who don't exist. We also cover craft, the agent hunt, query trenches, publishing industry, marketing, and more. I'm your host, Mindy McGinnis. You can check out my books and social media at mindymcginnis.com. And make sure to visit the Writer Writer Pants on Fire blog for additional interviews, query critiques, and more at writerwriterpantsonfire.com. This is Kate Carius Quinn, and I am co-hosting with Mindy McGinnis on her podcast, Writer Writer Pants on Fire. And I am here because I invited myself um, to be on Mindy's <laughs> podcast, basically. I, I think I texted you or I emailed you. I was listening to your podcast and um, my car. I was actually listening uh, to the Becca Sim interview, which was amazing and so interesting. She works with indie authors a lot. And I actually was the one who told you to interview her. I, I like coming up with ideas. I, I think I'm like, I'm very much an idea person. I'm not as good at like sometimes executing them, which is why it's really fun to be like, Mindy, I have this idea for a podcast and we should do it together. And we should talk about self-publishing and indie publishing because you talk about publishing, but you mostly, you know, interview traditional authors, but a lot of people who you know want to publish you know, are considering both routes. And, you know, I've just recently in the last year started indie publishing. It's really interesting as an author to look at both sides of it. And I think both routes are equally viable, you know, if you approach them professionally. Um, and so you were like, yeah, sure. And then I basically like sat back and just like let you set it all up. And now I yes. just like show up and talk. So, I mean, no, that's, that's, yeah, that's a pretty good rundown of what happened. Kate said, you should do this. And then I did it. And then Kate was like, oh, so we're going to do that. And I'm like, dude, yeah, it's done. So for the next yeah. like three months, June, July and August, we have just indie and self-pub authors coming on. And uh, they're a hybrid as well. But we're going to have a whole bunch of different authors coming on. Not necessarily in this order, but we're going to have Lisa Vino, Tara East, Alessandra Torre, David Goffring, Katie Robert, Alina Johnson, Tim Westover, Kurt Dynan, and Glenn Dyer are all going to be on the podcast. And we're going to be talking to them about their processes. Some of them are hybrid. We're going to talk to them about how they decided to make the jump from traditional publishing to self and indie and the pros and the cons on both sides. So we're just, and also marketing, because marketing is just the biggest thing where, you know, you can't sell anything if nobody knows it exists. And I really think indie authors are way ahead of traditional authors on marketing. And partially that's because A, they have to be, and B, because it's it's not easier per se, but you have more control over your book and the back end to do different mm -hmm. things with marketing. You can change the price. You can you have, you know, more immediate feedback to know if things are working. Um, so you it makes marketing more worth it. And also you get money out immediately. I would never run, um, you know, say Facebook ads for my young adult books with Harper teen because, um, I haven't earned out on those books. So it would right. basically be just like 
throwing money away because I would never see a return on that. I'm not even close to earning out. And Mm -hmm. any Facebook ads I ran would not get me significantly closer to that. But when I run Facebook ads on my indie books, I can immediately see that day how much I'm making that day and how many units I'm selling and how many pages are being read. And so, you know, I know if my ads are working and I'm going to, you know, two months later, get paid out for those sales. It just makes a lot more sense. And there's so many more things you can do. But like, I mean, one of the biggest things that indies talk about a lot are newsletters. And that's really something that um, I feel like traditional authors, not all of them, but a lot are sleeping on that and mm-hmm. um, could really up their game. Well, you remember we were sharing, where were we? We were somewhere. We were sharing a uh, hotel room. Yeah. Was that, was that Pennsylvania? My, or was that? It wasn't, I don't think it was Pennsylvania. I think it was California. It was, it was, it was my tour, right? Yeah, it might have been. Right? I think so. California. Yeah. I don't yeah, know. It's so and funny I, when you're in a hotel room, you just remember the hotel room and like everything outside of it disappears. Like we could have been in a hotel room anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that was my experience. But I remember laying on my bed and you were just like, Minnie, do you even have a newsletter? And I was like, yeah, I send it out, you know, when I have releases or whatever. And you were like, oh yeah, I never open it. <laughs> <laughs> you were kind of like, and that's because you're doing it wrong. And I was like, oh, right. oh yeah. yeah. And then Kate was just like, no, you need to read this book, which it was Newsletter Ninja. She was like, you need to read Newsletter Ninja and you need to be sending out a newsletter every month and you need to do this and you need to do that. And I was like, Jesus Christ, Kate, tell me some more things I need to do. And then you literally were like, well, <laughs> the other thing that you could do, you need to fold Rider Rider Pants on Fire into your Mindy McGinnis site and you need to bring the blog and the podcast all into one place. And I was literally laying on the other bed going, fuck, 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 because you were like illustrating months and months and months of work. And um, yes. you were right. Like I did all those things. I did all those things and, uh, you know, significant yes. traffic on my site. And um, of course, the newsletter now that I send out every first of the month, I have awesome open rates and click rates. They're amazing. And I do the little thing where I actually like ask a question. And if you answer me, you know, we'll start a conversation. Do people actually do that? People will actually like email me back and be like, this is my cat. And I'm like, oh, cool. I like your cat. And like we end up just having conversations about things that have absolutely nothing to do with my books. And it's cool. Yeah, because you're, you know, you're connecting with your readers and you're not just trying to sell them something. And I remember I also told you, like, be a little more chatty. Like, you are, like, very much like, here's the information. I mean, you're very good at, like, um, like, you know me. I just go on and on and on and on. Like, I'm terrible at Twitter because even with the longer Twitter size that you can now do, I still have more things to say than fits in a tweet. You mm-hmm. are very good at being compact with your words. And but you were almost in fact, you were like, here, this is my new release. Yay, this is it. And I was like, you have to be chatty and talk and like, you know, make yourself seem like a person because you are a really interesting person. And when people see you, you know, live, or when you do a panel or when you do signings, people are always like, oh my gosh, you're so funny. You're so interesting. And you're like, you know, my books are not funny. You always have to tell them. But it's true, though. They're not. They're not funny. Um, no. But they're not funny. You but are. I have. 
I am. That's true. And I do, I don't do the chatty thing. And it's funny because you're right. You do tend to go on. I tend to not go mm-hmm. on. <laughs> and already I've noticed because we have already executed a couple of interviews with our guest authors, you'll get like super chatty and I'll be like, and now I'm going to like bring us back down to some information that might actually be useful. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh my God. Yeah. I, my brain is not organized. It goes off in like, 20,000 directions and I will start out talking about one thing and suddenly be down the road because one thing reminds me of another thing and then another thing and then another and suddenly it's like what were we talking about and I always know what we're talking about and I will bring us back to it in order to make me the full circle that is necessary but yeah it's true but I think it's a good mix because you're right I'm not chatty enough and I know people like it I personally like, hopefully you're enjoying listening to me chat right now. But personally, it's like when I listen to a podcast and people are having those conversations, like when I was like, where were we? What hotel were we in? And you're like, I don't know. Maybe it was Pennsylvania or California. As a listener, I'm just like, dude, shut up. I don't care where you were. <laughs> <laughs> so I always take that shit out. And you're like, no, people like that. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll see if people like I like it. that I like that stuff. It makes me feel like we're friends and we're hanging out. Like it's like we're all sitting around and having a chat, except I don't get to talk. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I can see you, though. I can see you driving a car and just answering back to the podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, totally. Yeah, no, I can see you doing that. Yeah, I'm like skipping forward 15 seconds to see if they said something that mattered yet. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I I like the chatty stuff. I mean, yeah, I really do. So speaking of chatty stuff, um, it is currently um, April 22nd. We are in what week of quarantine are you in? I am in week six. Week six of full on in the house watching Netflix quarantine. I actually um, the other day said we're in quarantine and my husband corrected me and he said we're not in quarantine. He said we're staying indoors, but quarantine is only if you have symptoms, then you're in quarantine. Mm. And I was like, okay, mister. See, I don't I don't have a husband, so I don't get like corrected at all. (laughs) That's so nice. Yeah. The cats don't talk back. What are you in week? I have no idea. Time is meaningless. I'm terrible with time regardless, but um, I have no idea. I really don't know. Since my birthday, the week of my birthday is when we (laughs) went away, and that was um, March 19th. Yeah. Well, and my birthday is the same week, so... That's easy yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And my mom gets confused um, all the time. We should, we should uh, share. I that seriously think we have some sort of common ancestor in um, Ireland or Germany because we both have German and Irish, yeah, strong German and Irish ancestry. Yeah, and we are like constantly, constantly confused for one another. Like if we are both mm-hmm. at an event. I mean, I don't know how many copies of your books have been brought to me to sign. And I'm just like, nope, that, that's Kate. Wrong person. She's slightly taller. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> slightly taller. And but yeah, I mean, we're both tall. We both have dark hair. And um, I actually I have a little bit of face blindness where um, like if someone changes their hair drastically or their hairstyle, mm-hmm. it's very hard for me to recognize their face. Like mm-hmm. even with actors, like, you know, I'll watch a trailer 
and I'll be like, why does that person look so familiar? And my husband will be like, because it's Russell Crowe. And I'm like, oh, oh. <laughs> see, I no, have the opposite. I, I mean, I don't know if it would be called like face acuity or something, but it's like, I'll be watching something. It'll be like that guy. How do I know that guy? And then like three minutes later, I'll be like, he was in an episode of the young writers in 1991. Yep. You know, and <laughs> yes, mm-hmm. yes. And my husband like, can do that too. That's people think it's creepy. And I'm like, no, I, I'm really good at spotting like character actors. That's yeah. I do not have that. It's very hard for me. I recognize voices more. Like if someone has a distinctive voice, I'll be like, I know that voice, but um, yeah. You know, it takes me time. The other day I was listening to, you know, like Pandora or whatever. And there was an ad Mm -hmm. and I was like, okay, I know that voice. Like that's someone famous. And I'm supposed to be sitting here going, Oh yeah, that's so-and-so. But I couldn't figure it out. And I couldn't figure it out until like two minutes in all of a sudden I'm like, dude, it's Jeff Goldblum. It's like, you should have known that. You should have known that. Shame on you. He has a distinctive voice. What was he shelling? I don't remember. See, it didn't work. I, I guess it didn't. That was a foul. Yeah, not a good advertisement. You're too busy going. Wow, who do? Why do I know that voice? I know that guy. And then I'm like, and then I'm like, wait, what should that voice be saying? What do I know that that voice says? And I went, oh, that's a big pile of shit. And then I was like, oh, that's Jeff Goldblum. So, um, are you sitting in your closet right now? Yep, I'm in my closet. I'm in my recording studio. I am um, in my bedroom with the door shut. I'm sitting on my bed and um, I'm actually looking at my bedspread and there's splashes of blood all over it. And I'm probably going to get hate mail for this. It's not my blood. It's um, my dog is in heat. Oh, yeah. Yeah. My puppy. So we got a puppy last September um, and we got her from a local breeder, a very responsible local breeder. And, um, she, all her breeding dogs are getting older. And, you know, what some breeders do is they, when their dogs get older, they, they give them to somebody else, you know, basically put them out to pasture or adopt them out to somebody yeah. else. But she was like, you know, these dogs are a part of our family. You know, she's like, I can't just like get rid of them. But, you know, she was like, we, you know, they've done breeding. So um, what they're doing is they um, find families who want to um, be guardians of a puppy and they raise that puppy. And then when the puppy is ready to be bred, we, we bring the puppy, you know, during a later heat to her house and they have a date with a, a boy <laughs> doggy. It's, it's, uh, and if they really, really like each other fall in love then maybe yes 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 it's like it's like lady in the tramp with uh with the spaghetti and meatball and then Mm -hmm. you know the xxx part after that right Um, i mean they do have puppies at the end lady in the tramp so you know they know and you know it happened in that park it totally happened in that park like after the moon set like there's no there's no oh yeah 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 for sure um so um so yeah and then when and then she comes home and you know she spends most of her time at home until she's ready to give birth and then the breeder takes her um and she gives birth at the breeder's house and then she's there until you know the puppies are ready to go to their new homes I thought this would be really interesting to do because I've never seen a dog in heat and I really honestly didn't know anything about it um and I just thought it'd be really cool to just be part of the process. And like, you know, we can, once she has the puppies, um, she's going to like FaceTime with us and let us see them. She doesn't want us to directly come until the puppies are weaned because she's afraid the mom might right. 
our little loony might want to stop feeding her puppies because she'll want to be with us again. I was a little nervous, but I was excited and I didn't really know what it would be like. And so she she started just having a little bit of blood. We noticed like a little bit on the bedspread. She sleeps on our bed. It's been like that for a couple of days, just not that much. And she's a very clean dog. She really, really, really likes to just go to town down there, just licking away, keeping herself nice and tidy. And she's always been that way. Um, and But today she's she's dripping a lot more and we're seeing drip on the floor more. So um, I think it's kind of good. Like my 12, my 13 year old boy, my 10 year old daughter, like Zoe, my 10 year old is like very matter of fact about it. Like she's like, Luna's in heat, you know, that's why she's bleeding a little bit. And my 13 year old, oh, well, he's, he's going to be 13 in a couple of weeks. He was like, ew. And I, she was just like, Jamie, she's trying heat. It's totally normal, you know? So yeah. it's such a thing that people don't experience anymore. But I would say as recently as 50 years ago, like, all, like, every, like if you had a female dog, like you just dealt with that. Like nobody really got their dogs neutered or um, mm-hmm. spayed. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know, it's just plain ignorance about such things is always amusing to me. My ex had three older sisters. And we lived together for like we were together for twelve, and we lived together for five. And um, you, like, you and the three older sisters? Yeah, I lived with it. Well, that might have worked out better. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> no, the the ex he he and I lived together for five years, and um, I'll never forget. Like he had three older sisters, and he grew up, you know, with women around. And I came to bed one night, and he was like, "Hey, I'm not trying to be rude, but." do you think that when you're bleeding that you could wear something when you come to bed so you don't bleed all over the sheets? And I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? And he was like, you know, you, you bleed on the sheets sometimes. He's like, it's not a big deal. I'm just letting you know. And I was like, do you think I'm not wearing something? I was like, dude, I have on like a tampon and a pad and you bleed through that shit and you get blood on the sheets. And he was like, it's that much. And I was like, dude, if you want me to free bleed all over you some night, I totally will. And then you will understand. But it was, <laughs> I was just like, you will think someone died in our bed. And I was just like, dude, seriously, you grew up with three older sisters. How do you not know this? And he was just like, I don't know. Like he was, it ruined him. I think that's why we broke up. Cause I am right. <laughs> he, he just, yeah, you were, you couldn't hide it enough that you had this no. horrible thing happen to you. No, yeah, no, I yeah. think I'm just... You just probably just should have, just, like, gone and stayed in like, a cave for a month or a week or whatever. <laughs> over. I'll just go free bleed. I'll just get a hotel room and free bleed and write. We should do that. We should do yeah. that. Writers that would be amazing, We'll have yeah. to sync yeah. up. We'll have to sync up. We should just open it up, the free bleed women's writers thing. And then we'll get some, like, men's activists who will be like, you can't discriminate against us. We'll be like, come, come, come free bleed with us, dudes. I'll cut you. I'll cut you. It's good. (laughs) BYOT, bring your own tampons. Well, we took took chatty. Like, we're like, we're just going to go. We're going to talk about menstruating dogs. That's where we're going with this. Okay. So, so that's my dog life right now. So everyone knows you're super into your cats, but do you want to talk about what's going on with your dog life or is it too sensitive? I I can talk about my dog life. Um yeah, I And I'm um, trying to peer pressure you into getting two dogs. I know, and it's not gonna work. It's just not gonna work. Um so yeah, and like everybody know knows best friends. They don't care if they're best friends. They can go find another friend somewhere that is not me because I don't <laughs> need more friends. I'm not like I have enough. Oh. I have like two and I'm good. Mm-hmm. 
my dog life. Everybody knows I have cats and I post my cats all over the place. Um, for whatever reason, I don't post, I didn't post my dog that much and I don't know why. Uh, it just, it's not that I loved him less. He just wasn't, um, in my face you as had much. two doggos until recently. I did. Boy, you really just want to drag out. You just want me to tell all the horrible things, don't you? Okay. Um, yeah. Why don't we, why don't we save, why don't we save the horrible story of how Mindy went from having two dogs to having zero dogs for next week's intro? That's a great way to hook people. Want to hear a sad dog story? Join us next week for all the sad doggies. All the reasons why Mindy no longer has any dogs. It's bad math, man. Um, yeah. Let's let's do that because we've already chatted for like half an hour for our lead up for this one. Yes. So. All right. That's well, right. And um, we have to have Lee join us. Yeah. Lee, Lee Savino, who has no idea what she's just agreed to, but she does write werewolf like gangbang books. So I think she'll be fine. All right. Cool. Well, let's bring Lee on then. Today's episode of Writer, Writer, Pants on Fire is sponsored by Jupiter Organic CBD Drops. Jupiter offers the highest quality CBD oil worldwide, 100% USDA certified organic and made in small batches. Jupiter is self-care and stress relief in a bottle. 80% of Jupiter's customers are creatives, especially writers. Jupiter helps them to feel more creative by quieting their busy minds and removing stress from their daily lives. And Every purchase comes with free shipping, free returns, and a 30-day risk-free trial. If you don't love Jupiter, you get your money back. Visit getjupiter.com now and use code RIDER to get 10% off your entire purchase. Let Jupiter put your stress on silent. Well, Minty and I both know each other because we started um, traditionally publishing together. We were in the same debut group in... um, 2013. My God, that seems like a million years ago. The golden age age of YA. It was the golden age of leaving our houses, even like it's a different world now. Yes. (laughs) Do you remember we went places? Uh, We weren't living in a dystopian YA novel. We hit the end of the dystopia trend, actually. Mindy, your book was like one of the last. yeah, it just squeezed in. We, I was lucky. And now, like, believe it or not, like those sales people are texting me. People are emailing me. People are like, oh, my God, this is just like your book. And I'm like, actually, it's like nothing like my book, but it's cool. I mean, if you want to read it, yeah. <laughs> You're like, no, that's going to happen later. Give it a couple more years. Mindy's book is about a world with no water. I like the YA dystopia where you know, the woman then discovers she has secret magical powers. Like I, I'm, a, I'm here for that. And then fall in love with a werewolf. Like that's my sort of dystopia. <laughs> I could definitely fall in love with a werewolf, but that's partially because I haven't left my house in five weeks and I am only communicating with animals right now. Last night I was texting with someone and I was like, I'm only speaking to animals right now. When we go back out into the real world, when I greet people, I'm just going to lay down in front of them and show them my belly and like roll around. That's that's how I'm going to communicate. I tried to do a Zumba class on YouTube yesterday and two of my children sat on the couch watching me critiquing, mom, aren't you going to do the push-ups part? 
I was like, I'm not doing the push ups. <laughs> and then the dogs are under my feet. The little one's like sticking her nose in my ass when I bend over. I was just like, oh my God. Downloaded Peloton, which I've gotten before, and the yoga's pretty good. But I'm thinking, you know, I really want the yoga course where the instructor has a two year old on her back. Like, I want to see that yoga class. So you yeah. have a two year old and a four year old. That is like, the worst combination to be trapped in your house with not one toddler but two it's pretty crazy and we lucked out because my mother and sister had just moved for a brief time uh, according to my sister she's staying with my mother and they live around the corner in an apartment and we can walk there so we're quarantining among ourselves and right now my kids are down at grandma's. My mom said that she heard on NPR a review of books and they were talking about how women authors back in the day just would choose not to have kids. Like Jane Austen mm-hmm. was like, nope, just not going to go there because otherwise mm-hmm. you can't be an author. I think it's better for us now. So I try to think of Jane Austen. I'm like, what would Jane Austen do? She would do but yoga with a kid point. on her back. Apparently she wrote standing up in the corner and when someone would walk into the parlor, she'd cover her work. That's totally me. I kind of need like a cave. Yes, my 10-year-old daughter is really cuddly and she will sometimes like come and cuddle up to me when I'm like sitting with my computer. And like if I'm writing, I'm like, baby, go somewhere else. I was like, I can't stand to have someone looking over my shoulder. Don't look at my computer when I'm writing. Like it's so, oh, it's terrible. It's very private. And now I'm co-writing too. Most of my indie books are co-written and we use Google Docs. So um. I have been writing and then I suddenly see like a cursor near where I'm (laughs) writing. And I realize one of my co-authors is in there and I've like yelled at them on Slack, like, get out of there, go somewhere else in the dock. Like, cannot be in the same spot as me. That's hilarious. Yeah, I'm careful about that because I've totally, I co-write a lot also. And I've totally been typing in the dock and gone to like replace some character's name and then a, a child attacks me and things get really <laughs> <laughs> oh so no I mean there's practical reasons to why I want privacy my cats have contributed to many of my books I mean I've actually found things that I have turned into the editor where there's a line where it's just like the cat had walked across the keyboard and my cursor had jumped you know and I just didn't see it and my editor at this point is just like this must be where Minnow contributed to the book I don't know. I don't need like total isolation. I I was working full time when I started writing. And so if I had a chance, I would work at work. I got pretty good at writing with background noise, writing while a TV is on. I can write in public. I'll write in airports. Like it's just it hit a point with all the traveling and stuff where I had to not be picky about my environment if I was going to get anything done. Yeah, I think I'm going to just need to build, I mean, writing is a habit. It's a, it's a muscle you can exercise. So I, I can learn how to do it, I guess, with the toddler on one leg and the dog at my feet. I find um, children's television shows are really good background noise for me, actually, because obviously I, ha- I have a toddler, a 10-year-old, and a almost 13-year-old. He's a month away from being 13, my oldest, but... um. The littlest one gets a lot of iPad and a lot of TV, especially lately. And I can like write with Dora, Blue's Clues, that horrible blippy, any of those in the background. 
See, if my kids were a little older and I was supposed to be homeschooling, I think I would just teach them how to create unboxing YouTube videos. We were talking about traditional publishing, which is how Kate and I began. And then uh, recently, Kate and uh, Demetria as well, our friend Demetria Lunetta, have started uh, wandering out into the indie world. And so if you could talk a little bit about what made you make that decision and, uh, you know, how you found success. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And like how long you've been doing it too. I mean, I feel like I'm still a baby author in that, in the indie world. The fact that you guys can write a, an excellent book, you know, well enough to get picked up by an agent and then a publisher. There are so many more hoops you jump through. Um, because being an indie author, you could just like slap your grocery list onto word account and upload it. Right. But to get going and to get selling, uh, I highly recommend honing in on genre and subgenre and the same sort of things that you guys did to get picked up by an agent and then a publisher. And I actually went to college for creative writing. So I was in the world where you were supposed to write literary fiction, submit to agents. Um, and I graduated in 2007 and finished my book in 2008 and started submitting it. And it was actually right at the point where you could start to be an indie author without having to buy a bunch of print books in boxes, put them in the back of your car and travel cross country selling your print books out of the back of your car. You could upload to Smashwords, right? And I kind of tooled around and I actually gave up. I was like, you know what, this probably isn't going to work. I should get a real job. And I did, and I was depressed. And then, and can I ask a question? Yeah. The book you wrote, the first book you wrote. So, did you? I know you write like genre fiction now. When you were in that literary college setting, did you try and write literary, or did you? Were you the person who was like writing genre fiction and having your classmates like sneer at you and be like, oh? I always knew I wanted to write genre fiction. They let me take my last senior year and do independent study. And that's why I kind of went to this college just because they were very supportive of like independent work. I did write something that could pass as literary, but it had a main character who was a werewolf. So it was uh. very much like fantasy. They loved it. My professors loved it. Like I didn't mm -hmm. at the point where I was submitting uh, things to classes. I was so over creative writing classes. I just think they're just a waste of time. I wish I had mm -hmm. taken more liter literature classes. And then... Um, so would you, if you could go back, would you be a creative writing major again? Or do you feel like it's... I'm coming from it, I have to say, as somebody who has a BFA in theater and an MFA in film and television production and will be paying off my student loans until I die. So... And, <laughs> yeah, and to counter that, I did do the lit circle. So that was what my degree was in. I have never taken a single creative writing class in my life. I went the route of studying literature. So yeah, really interesting to get your take on that. So the only thing that a person needs to be a creative writer is to write. And I honestly, if I could do it again, I would probably go back and do the Steve Jobs thing where you just take whatever class interests you. I would take a mm -hmm. lot more philosophy, a lot more history, a lot more English, like just literature classes, a lot more ancient art and mythology. I would just take, probably they would never graduate me because I would just take whatever I wanted. I actually 
have this thought in mind of one day writing some sort of literary fiction book and getting invited back as a writer in residence, which they will uh, not allow me to do if, if all I've written is erotic romance, but whatever. Right, maybe of course. Of money to the school because I'm, I'm making a lot of money now. <laughs> I have right. paid my student loans. Don't you think you would have more to like teach students about working as a writer, being someone who is actually living off the writing and actually able to pay their loans off their writing than somebody who has had a literary novel published? Yeah, absolutely. That's- I think so. In fact, I teach courses. Like I have courses up and I coach authors and I don't coach them on how to write a book. Um, although I will give advice on that, but I prefer to coach on the marketing and like how to sell yeah. the book. Kids need to be taught. There are ways to put yourself out there. Like you, there are better ways than just going to auditions and hoping someone picks you. Like you should be a creator and sort of start your own things. We're going to see more of that. I believe I hope that so. happened in the indie world or the author world you know, with us going indie or having the option to go indie is going to happen in the film world. And that's what happened in 2015 is I was like, you know what, I'm just going to be an author. And I might never make any money, but I want to be an author because I want to be an author. And I do not want to wait until I'm 80 years old and looking back on my life to be like, oh, I wish I had. I'm going to do it Mm -hmm. now. So in 2015, that was right about the time when attitudes towards self-publishing were starting to change because it very much used to be well, people who self-publish couldn't make it in the trad world. And so they're going this other route. And I know that was very much the mindset for a lot of people who were traditionally published, to be honest. And I do think the stigma has been lifted from self-publishing a lot in recent years. And I think that is due to the fact that you can find great success. So, I mean, you mentioned you've done very well, like financially, are you comfortable sharing numbers? Yeah. I made a half a million dollars last year. Fuck me. Okay. (laughs) My loans are gone and my college costs a lot of money, even though I got scholarships. It was, it was an expensive four year university. Yeah. I made, let me, let me back up because I recently put this out in a group that I have for authors um, on mm-hmm. Facebook, Millionaire Author Mastermind. And I, <laughs> I started that group to be very honest about the fact that I love writing and it is art for me, but I am going to make money. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I figured out a way to combine that. And- I love that. That is the best part of the indie world, honestly. I feel like people are so much more upfront about, like, this is a business, I want to make money. And yes, I love to write. Yes, you know, you have to have passion for your story, but also like, don't be stupid and, you know, go off and write something that no one is going to read and is never going to sell. Like, and there's so much more transparency about money too. It's, it's really so different. It is very cool. And I want to just tap into that, but also not push it in people's faces. So if you join the group, Mm -hmm. you're going to get me talking about money. If you don't join the group, I'm probably not going to mention it unless you're in my circle, you know? So yeah, I've embraced the money. I also understand that people would look at me and be like, oh, she writes pulp, but I love it. I love what I write and, and it means something to me. I think that you can still be an artist and Mm -hmm. be very Mm -hmm. creative, but also write something that's going to have appeal. And I always wanted to write about werewolves. I just did. I want to write werewolf romance. (laughs) And I went to college thinking, these are the books I write. Why? Because when I read the classics, 
women as they were depicted in Anna Karenina, Madame Bovary, Tess of the D'Ubervilles, Portrait of a Lady, all these authors were writing about women and the, and the women had horrible experiences. I didn't want to read that anymore. I was 16 and right. I was like, forget this. I'm going to go read sci-fi fantasy where the women are tough and strong and beautiful and they get on dragons and they save the world. Yeah. What were yeah. you reading at 16 that was that those books? Who were your authors? Who were your influences? Ursula Le Guin and McCaffrey was a big one. And then I loved her. Um, I, I remember going, finding the romance section and I would stand there and I would not check the books out because mm-hmm. I was like, oh my God, I do not want my mother to see this book cover, but I would read them standing in the aisle. And honestly, if you want to get, I mean, I'm an erotic author, so I write about sex. I write tons of sex scenes. My word count per hour, when I've tracked it, it goes way up when I'm writing a sex scene. Also, a fight. Oh, that scene. makes sense. Flirty banter, and there's body parts moving, and it's a lot of description and, and dialogue. And apparently, fight scenes and sex scenes, that's where, so I just put a lot of those in my books, and I write really fast. <laughs> <laughs> How many books do you put out a year? Uh, six to 12. Okay. Wow. They're an average of 40,000 words long. So that's not, mm-hmm. uh, that's not like, a. if it was a physical book, it would be thin art aside. I do get frustrated with the, you know, follow your heart, write your dream kind of thing. If you're following your heart and writing your dream and not able to pay your bills, because that was me for a long time. And I love to talk about tapping into that success like you obviously you have to write a product that people want to read yes but you also have to put it visually in front of them you guys were talking before about you know creating art and then like presenting yourself to the world in a different way and thinking outside the box and not necessarily climbing the ladders that have been put there in the past for people to you know rung up in order to achieve anything and I think that that's very true and it's super interesting and I also think it's really fucking hard to stand out when everyone is doing it. I struggle with it myself all the time. I mean, I used to be super, super active on social media and I went through a breakup last year that just like devastated me and I just kind of pulled back and I haven't really gone back yet. And a lot of it, it just feels so fruitless. So like, can you talk about some of the methods that you have found that are effective in the indie world? So you do not need social media. It is a waste of time. The diminishing returns happen very quickly, like after like probably an hour a week on social Mm. media. So don't worry about it. If you love it, do it. Do one thing. Like if you love Instagram, do Instagram. If you love Facebook like I do, do do Facebook. If you hate LinkedIn, don't do LinkedIn, right? Um, And if you hate all social media, don't worry about it. This is what you need. You need to pick a genre, ideally a subgenre, and you need to study the tropes and I want you to match tropes with voice. Mm-hmm. So your art comes in with the voice, but when you go to put a cover up, you look at the tropes in the genre. So for, my, for me, it would be a wolf on the cover because I'm writing werewolf romance and I'm writing sexy werewolf romance. So it's a, it's a, sexy guy on the cover with a wolf. That is it. Mm -hmm. Very simple. That's my cover. 
once they so can I interrupt I know like I see a lot of times like I I think I know what you mean when you say tropes but I know like I always see whenever there's um a post about it like on a in a Facebook group there'll always be somebody saying what do you mean by tropes and what are tropes I mean if you are saying werewolf is a trope you really have to know like what people expect in a werewolf book like Oh, yeah. Or like what people expect in a vampire book, like a werewolf. How much can you, I guess, go outside the lines? Like, can you have a werewolf that um, that doesn't have a full moon thing? What are the rules within each trope and how far out of them can you go? Because right now, I, my co-author and I, we're writing um, Academy Urban Fantasy, more in the young adult range. And um, I think we're sticking to the tropes, but I'm not always sure. I could talk about the Academy urban fantasy trope as I see it. So first of all, genre fiction, you need a happy ending. Yes. If you have a long series, ideally like Harry Potter, um, the, the big bad guy, the boss of the game doesn't get beaten until the end of the book, like the end of the series. Right. Mm-hmm. But each book, there's a, there's a win. Each of those books pretty much followed the beat sheet. And I highly recommend Blake Snyder's book on, on filmmaking and script writing mm-hmm. called Save the Cat. And it talks about the beat sheet. I find with all my students, with all my co-writers and with my own writing that when I have some awareness of the beats as they fall in a book, um, the book becomes stronger and it doesn't like sag in the middle as mine are want to do. And also the ending is very satisfying. And honestly, mm-hmm. Romance authors will will deal with will put up a, with a lot, and the same with erotica readers. Honestly, guys, if you're brand new and you are okay or would love to even write erotica, go for it. Write under a pen name and just write tons and tons of stuff. You just have to like pick a kink and write it. But honestly, you're practicing writing, and mm-hmm. you don't need so much of a story as long as you're writing what the erotica readers want, which is they don't even want to. Ha- well, they want a happy ending of a certain type, but they don't need like you know, them to find true love, the characters or whatever. In romance, they must find true love. Werewolf romance, one of them needs, at least one of them, maybe both of them, needs to be a werewolf and needs to, part of the the fun part of the, the those types of books in the genre and the subgenre is this, typically a human woman discovering this, this paranormal world. Now you could switch mm-hmm. it up. You could have it the other way. Um, but Honestly, if you read a lot of werewolf romance, you're going to kind of internalize the tropes. You're going to be like, okay, I have to have a happy ending. Like everything needs to be resolved and they, and they, they are in love and they end up staying in love. Right. And then if you follow the beat sheet, there's conflict going on. Um, There's external conflict and internal conflict, but your readers will forgive you a lot. As long as you have this wolf who's showing up, let's say at our high school and he's like the you know the bad boy high schooler and she's interested in him and then she she's at a party and she wants to get close to him and then she sees him turn into a wolf and run off into the woods and oh my god there's this world that I'm entering into and it's kind of a metaphor for rites of passage and growing up and you can get into all that or you can just enjoy the fact that you know she wants to she's falling in love with this big bad wolf literally mm-hmm. and and play with it. And then, uh, you know, hopefully there's some bad guys in there and they're fighting the bad guys and um, they're fighting each other and their love for each other. But by the end of a werewolf romance, they're going to end up together. 
And that can happen within 40,000 words. For me, I've written a lot of werewolf romance. And I wrote one series where it's set in Viking Norway or historical times, but the Vikings are werewolves. I don't know. It, it has all the elements that people like. It has these warriors turning into giant monster wolves and saving the women or fighting with the women or, you know, some of the women are witches who are very powerful. And so there's all sorts of ways I've, I've put my own voice and my own ideas and my own um, decision that I think that Viking berserker warriors are werewolves for actually Mm -hmm. now I'm going to write about it. What if they really were, what would, what would happen? Um, How do they fall in love? (laughs) Um, And then in my contemporary world, I've had um, motorcycle club. So these big tatted up guys with leather vests turn into werewolves at night. And, you know, a a human woman wanders in and she's weirded out because, you know, she's a lawyer and she's all put together and they're all big guys and he's all interested in her. And then suddenly she sees him turn into a wolf too. And then, but they're also falling in love and falling into bed with one another because that's what my books are about. I've taken the one thing, which is it needs to be werewolf romance. There needs to be a happy ending. And there needs to be a time where the readers see the character shift into a wolf, like, and learn about the werewolf world as, as this other world. And that's why this paranormal reader grabs my book and opens it. And I understand that and I deliver that, but in my contemporary series, I put in tons of jokes and in, and motorcycles. And in my Viking series, I put in tons of like witches and warring with a mage and plague and all sorts of crazy stuff. Some people get frustrated when some, a book sells really well and they're like, that writing was so bad. But Mm -hmm. I would like you to flip that around. I'd like you to say, what was it about that book that enticed readers? Because Mm -hmm. then you go write a book with the same elements that entice the readers, but then write it better and, you know, put in more voice, you know, put in more beautiful prose or whatever your strengths are, amazing twists in the plot. Actually, I totally agree with the beat sheets. I actually, I've, written pretty much my whole life. I always wanted to be a writer, but I was never able to finish a novel until after I went to film school and I learned how to write screenplays and I learned the screenplay structure, which is what, you know, Save the Cat is all about. And um, then I was in Tennessee and I had a brand new baby and I didn't know anybody. And that's when I first started writing my first novel. My first novel is nowhere like you cannot find oh it. yeah mine too <laughs> yeah oh no it's terrible I opened it up like a year ago thinking I could like mine it for parts and I was like oh this is bad yeah. <laughs> really bad no. that, that happened to me too I wrote my first novel in high in college and I went back to look at it and I was like nope that's not gonna that's not gonna cut it it was terrible but I always tell people, you know, while you're writing, you can't be aware of how bad it is when you're growing as a you writer. You can't. Because you can't just be like, I actually suck at this thing, you know? I mean, you got to have a, and a certain amount of hubris to even begin. It's true. You really do. You have to be like, Oprah's going to be calling. Again, we have so much excitement. And also, it doesn't take very much for us to get, like, rapidly better because we know yeah. so little. So you learn like mm-hmm. one, and then you and then suddenly you've improved so much. And 
I'm at the point where I'm like, if I can just get 1% better, if I can just get 10% better, you know, that is a big deal for me because I do have a lot of skills. Oh my gosh, guys, I've been writing like half a million words for five years now, every year and publishing most of those words and getting paid on most of those words, which then Mm -hmm. I've funneled into moving forward with my career. Make your pages look professional with vellum. Margins, headers, page numbering, font, line spacing, all happen automatically with every book you create. Generate eBooks for Kindle, Apple Books, Kobo, and others, or deliver a beautiful print book to your readers. Visit trivellum.com forward slash pants to learn more. Vellum, create beautiful books. Can a girl who sees the world through prose-colored glasses learn to live her life off the page? Find out in Buy the Book, the debut YA novel by Amanda Saleh. Rom-com meets masterpiece theater in this tale of old books, new friends, first love, and second chances. School Library Journal says Buy the Book is witty and compelling. Booklist calls it a smart, engaging romance, impossible to read without laughing out loud. Buy the book is available now, wherever books are sold. I'm looking at your books on Amazon. I can see, you know, some of your your tactics at work here as far as pricing. Um, But also, I want to shift you back around to talking about promotion and marketing because so for example i'm looking at your berserker saga the first one and you have 426 reviews for one thing and your first one is 99 cents and it's on kindle unlimited so if you could talk a little bit about that end of it pure business what's your process and how did you arrive at learning what was the best your best methods. I know you said social media doesn't matter. Yeah. Social media doesn't matter. Newsletter mailing lists do. And that is internet marketing 101. You want to sell a course online. You want to sell children's books online. You want to sell werewolf romance online, get a mailing list. I have a freebie that I offer for the berserker series. So I've actually, I probably have a freebie for every single series that I like my main series. And how do I, how did I decide whether they were my main series? Well, book one took off and I decided to just keep writing in that world, you know, Mm -hmm. and now I have, you know, 13 books in the series. Well, I don't care if I put book one free or book one on sale at 99 cents. And that's my loss leader. Mm -hmm. And that's a marketing term, but you're giving away something for free because when you think about your reading experience, how did you get into the author? that you're really into. Typically, someone handed you the book and said, you need to read this. Or you were in a library and you picked it up there. And a lot of times our our entree to a new author is through a free book. So I'm Mm -hmm. okay with giving away books, probably because I feel less confident about my advertising skills. um, And I feel more (laughs) confident being like, hey, try me out. And if you hate me, You'll never pick up anything by me again. And then I get right. messages where people are like, I love you. I'm so glad I found you. I got a free book. There are ways to get reviews on books. One is to ask for them. Um, that first freebie I put, 
popped out there, the 99 cent book you're talking about, I, at the end of it was like, you know, I'm thinking about writing more books in this series, but let me know if you liked it. And a lot of people just wrote a review saying, I like it. I want more. Or they would email me because I put my email in there. And then I think I also, I give that book away a lot. So I, I probably have more people who read it and get excited and come back and write a review. And then I do remember reaching out to some reviewers, people I know who have um, an email list of people who will leave reviews, like an ARC team. And I just gave them a book that wasn't new. I gave them, I gave them that book and it was old, but I was like, Hey, you know, I'd love more reviews on this book. I'm trying to get a promotion on it or something. And I need a ton of reviews on it. I like give that book away a ton. And that is a great strategy. I know someone who makes seven figures in romance and she mainly advertises one book of hers and that book is free. And then mm -hmm. it's first in the trilogy and it leads to another book that's $4.99 and then a third book that's $4.99. And then everything that she's writing since those the first trilogy ties into the same world. So okay. she kind of has this map in her head of like where she wants her readers to go. But she only mm. really advertises that first free book and then her new release. Mm. And she's hitting the USA Today based on nice. based on her fan base. That's really cool. So like you're saying, mailing list. What about paid advertising? Paid advertising is awesome, but I would make sure that you have a product, because now we're talking mm -hmm. to speak, right? A book, a product that people love. So I really think that to start earning a living as an author, you have to write a book and write a series on that book that really hits the right tropes. It doesn't have to be trendy, but it has to, it has to hook people enough so that they take a chance on you, buy your book, and then they fall in love with your voice. So that, again, that's yeah. plus voice. Then at the end of the book, you say, hey, do you want to hear more from me and you get them on your mailing list. Now I say, Hey, do you want a free book related to this first one? And they say, yes, please. And that's how I get them onto my mailing list. And I have 30,000 people on my mailing list. So Whoa. when I have a new release, I email them and I'm yeah, not I mean, hoping that Facebook shows my post and I'm not hoping that Amazon sends out an email blast or whatever. I mm -hmm. email 30, probably closer to 40 now, 40,000 people. Guys, I've, I'm, I'm now translating my own books into German. What? And I did the same thing. I got book one through five of the Berserker series, which you've mentioned already, translated. I put mm -hmm. them up and then I went back to the translator and said, hi, I have this very short, it's like 20,000 word freebie. And I paid another thousand dollars for him to translate that. And I put it up. And the only way they get it, it's never been for sale. It will never be for sale. The only way they get it is by signing up to a special mailing list that I call my German berserker mailing list. Mm -hmm. So two days ago, I got um, another berserker book translated because I have a long series in that world. Um, so it's book seven or something. So I put it up on Amazon, waited till it was live. Then I went back to my mailing list, which is now 700 people. And I emailed them and said, hi, the next in the Berserker series is out and here's the link. And I said all that in German and I had to get my translator to translate that. Mm -hmm. uh, he basically translated some basic phrases like new book now in German. <laughs> and right, then right. the title and I just email them 
with the cover and they click on it. I can go in actually right now and see how many people clicked on it. But I can also watch the money pour in. Mm-hmm. Because when yeah. you're in, you log in and you can see how many people are buying your books like that day. Right, right. Cool. Yeah. So is Germany a big market to like tap into after yes. the non-English speaking? That's like... Yep, that would be your number one market after uh, English. Now, is that wow. specifically for erotica or is that... Uh, erotica does general. very well. Dark romance, which I also write, does very well, which is like mafia or he like kidnaps her. That's dark romance. Mm-hmm. That does well. I found that paranormal does pretty well. Sci-fi romance does pretty good. Um, it looks like out of 720 people that I emailed yesterday, 250 people opened it opened the email and 123 people clicked on it. And then a mm-hmm. percentage of those people will have bought the book. And then wow. Amazon says, Oh, this book is selling. And they might like send emails out about it. They might push it up. People I've, I've noticed on Facebook, cause I do love Facebook. So I am on Facebook a ton. I have noticed that people will share new releases and it's all in German, the post and the, in the link links to my berserker book in German. So, you know, letting people know and having the power to let people know that you have a product live it's, it's internet marketing. One-on-one It's like build an email list. So if you do nothing, write your books and build a mailing list, like that's it. Mm-hmm. You could probably actually, I, I'm pretty sure you could hit six figures on that alone. Mm-hmm. And a loss leader is the key to that. No, I mean, I think if you're writing, I mean, honestly, if you wrote something like The Hunger Games and it was full price and then book two's coming out and you had everyone who loved your work on an email list, like, hey, you want mm-hmm. to know when book two's coming out? Sign up to this email list. And you got, what, 100,000 people to sign up probably. Mm-hmm. And then you email mm-hmm. them all. You, you could do fine without having a loss leader. But you know, I write so much. It made sense for me to write a long series, put book one on sale permanently, and and then also offer an exclusive freebie. So I wrote a piece of fiction that I never will make money off of. And it just, mm-hmm. I hand it to people who sign up to my email list. Like, that's the deal. You give me your email. You allow me to email you until you unsubscribe from my list. And I'll give you this free work. Mm-hmm. Is and the freebie is a full-length book? It's 20,000 words, so it's not. Okay. Right. So half, right. yeah. Yeah. And um, a good freebie would be meet the parents, adopt a, t- a cat or a dog. They have a little fight about their wedding and then they get married at the end of the, the freebie or baby, baby time. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. In romance, those little extras write themselves. Cause you're like, I want to write their wedding scene or whatever. Can I ask, what do you get for your um, open rate on your huge email list, the 30,000 one? It's typically like 30, 40%. It looks like last time was only 26%, but the time before that was 30%. Do you go through and trim dead weight at some point? Yeah. And and MailerLite, which is the software I use that I really like and recommend, um, makes it easy to do that. And again, I, what the one thing I love about a mailing list is it's really set it and forget it. Like I set mm-hmm. it and I'm not tweaking with it. I'm not messing with it. It is up. And people in Germany are joining my mailing list in the middle of the night. Yeah, That's awesome. And then, but is and it then, the end of, middle of the night for them? It's not. 
Well, right, exactly. It's the middle of the night. Or Germans, just late night people. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you're in Kindle Unlimited, it's really interesting. Um, You get paid per page read, and I have software. Mm -hmm. Yes. They report page reads, and it's so cool to watch, like, everything click over into midnight, and suddenly you have, like, 20 pages read already, and you're like, somebody's Mm -hmm. reading. Either uh, someone on, on the East Coast in the middle of the night, or it could be, you know, they're in Australia in the morning. I don't know. It's very cool. Yes, I've noticed that too. Yeah, it always seems to pick up like at night. Like I'm on the East Coast and like around like seven, eight, it's like seems like it picks up. Yeah, it's very fun. I know that on my phone last night, I had a moment because I was up late. It was after midnight and um, I was my phone gave me my notification of how much you've been on your phone today or whatever your usage report. And for whatever reason, it popped up and it said, you've been using your phone for 11 minutes. And I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. 11 minutes in one day. I feel good about myself, right? And then I realized it was 12, 12. Yes. <laughs> you've been and I was like, using it for 11 oh. minutes or the entire day. <laughs> yeah, I have spent the entire day scrolling through Instagram. I was just like, oh, shit. Yeah, I was like all proud of myself. <laughs> for being unconnected. And then I, and I was just like, Oh my God, that, that's embarrassing. So I actually wanted to talk to you about something. I heard you on when you were on the writing gals podcast, but you said something on there that for me was one of those light bulb moments. And I thought it was so brilliant. And you were talking about writing blurbs and you said, you don't want to put like your secret sauce in the blurb. Like the blurb isn't meant to be like telling people the whole story and all the things like you really you're positioning it really you're marketing it you're showing the parts of it that you want to get people excited about you know sort of like if you are showing somebody a new car and they are excited about having a race car you're not going to talk about the heated seats but if you are you know, showing a mom with a minivan who, you know, with a ton of kids, you're going to show her like, you know, no touch sliding doors and stuff. And I was just like, it, it just, I don't know why, like it made so much sense. It was so simple, but it was like one of those moments where I just went like, oh, oh, I get it because I've always hated writing blurbs and summaries and all that stuff. And I always just felt like I had to say all the things because otherwise like people wouldn't understand the story. And suddenly I was like, oh, I get it. I just need to tell them the things that will make them want to read it. Yes. Yes. (laughs) That's again, it's trope plus voice. Cause I really, you know, the blurb is where you put the tropes. You you know, I might have like a funny parrot. I'm writing a a book for a class and it's a rom-com and there's a funny parrot. The, The funny parrot is not going in the blurb. The funny parrot is not going on the book cover. But the funny parrot's going to make people laugh in the book. So I call that the secret sauce. Like, that's the secret. That's going to get them to want to read every book that I've ever written because they just laugh so hard about the parrot, right? Mm -hmm. Um, It's going nowhere near the cover. Like, maybe a special edition cover for, like, my true fans one day if that book ends up making me tons of money and it's just insane. It's my most popular book. Maybe, but probably not. But, you know, I'm going to elevate certain things to the level of the cover and if it's a werewolf romance which this book is not but if it's a if it was a werewolf romance it would be the wolf to to represent the werewolf and then the man and then typically my titles someone actually mocked my titles and 
my car rider and I cracked up so hard because we were like, well, we want to make it obvious that this is a werewolf romance. We want it to be so on the nose. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, we do have a lot of voice. So in your in your blurb, your book description, feel free, like showcase your writing and your literary strength for real, but do it in a way, like for example, in Urban Fantasy Academy, make make the voice super snarky. You know, mm-hmm. and I actually wrote a blurb. I I helped a, a a student of mine launch, and it was an academy book. And it and I wrote the blurb, and I had so much fun writing it because it was very like in your face, and you know these academy boys aren't going to take me down. That sort of like sassy, and mm-hmm. and so you're giving them a taste of what's going to be in the book, right? That sass and that, but you're also saying she's at an academy there it's a school of magic like the basics of what's in the book so people are like oh it's an academy romance um mm-hmm. but then add the voice in to if it's funny add in the jokes if it's serious and intense um and, and by the way the best way i'm actually doing this now on the advice of one of my coaches is you, the the best way to learn how to get good at writing blurbs is you go and you look at your genre or your subgenre which you should know if you want to make money at this thing um, go in your subgenre, look at all the top selling books and start clicking on them individually and write out the blurb longhand and do that for 30 days on end. And you're basically, I don't know, apprenticing yourself to mm-hmm. copywriting just as if, you know, if you were gonna, a painter, you would have to like paint the skies for the, the masters would have their apprentices just paint in the skies <laughs> for like years. Yeah. In the sky. So you're going to go and for 30 days, you're going to write out longhand those blurbs and get the style. Like that's how you quickly learn copywriting. And then mm-hmm. um, keep doing that, you know, write out a blurb maybe to, to sort of wet your palate and then write out um, your own blurb a couple different ways. And eventually you'll, you'll be amazing at writing blurbs. So I hear I have not gotten to the end of the exercise. I've skipped a couple days already. But I'm going to try it because, you know, that cover and that blurb is if you can master those and then you can write a decent book, you can make money at this thing. Would you say with that exercise that people should definitely, though, be looking at indie books? Because there really is a difference in how publishers write blurbs for traditionally published books and how indie authors write blurbs. Like a lot of times indie author blurbs are first person I think traditional ones are more, you know, they try to lead with either quotes or with, a, you know, an author recommending it or, you know, X meets X book, lots of name checking more and just longer. Whereas I find that indie tends to be tighter. Yeah. Well, I would say that indie authors are able to quickly pivot and we're able to reach demand and need in a market so quickly. Like, for example, Academy Books, if traditional traditionally pub, traditional publishers are going to jump on the academy trend it's going to be over by the time books get out of the pipeline you know what i mean mm-hmm. oh for sure yes um but i would recommend you probably copy out both why well you have nothing to lose and i think that over time we're going to see you know my goal is for my writing to get more polished and to get more so that people look and they're like silverwood press Oh, that's a that's a big publisher. Like they don't know it's me and my husband, right? The mm-hmm. quality of my books are 
is, you know, equal or better than a traditionally pub book. I mean, that's my goal because, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm an artist and I take my craft seriously. Um, But I would also say the blurbs I tend to choose for this exercise are the ones that make me want to read the book. But typically it's more the indie book. And I think I just gravitate more to indie books because I want to read a specific subgenre to get Mm -hmm. that specific trope thing. But there are definitely traditionally pub books that grab me. I just picked up one YA one and I could tell by the quality of the writing that it was from Wattpad. <laughs> it was someone who had <laughs> taken from Wattpad. So it was interesting to me, like, I don't know, pretty soon there's going to be a, a blend. And maybe this book is, it's much better edited than it would have been on Wattpad, but it still has the same voice. But that's okay, because if readers are happy with it, then who cares whether it was on Wattpad, whether she did get an agent, or she just published an indie. So yeah, pick a blurb that you makes you want to read the book. Let our listeners know, where can they sign up for your email list that you were telling us about? LisaVino.com okay. is where I have my free books and um, freebies up. And then LisaVino.com slash author dash advice. Or on Facebook. Um, go ahead and find the Millionaire Author Mastermind because I'm in there a lot. Even though that, even though Facebook is not a place you should be if you want to write a lot and get books right. but I'm doing okay, so I allow myself it, to be on there. I am on there a lot, and what's cool is there is a there's a great many authors on there, and it's a great author community that I've built. Writer, Writer, Pants on Fire is produced by Mindy McGinnis. Music by Jack Corbel. Don't forget to check out the blog for additional interviews, writing advice, and publication tips at writerwriterpantsonfire.com. If the blog or podcast have been helpful to you, or if you just enjoy listening, please consider donating. Visit writerwriterpantsonfire.com and click support the blog and podcast in the sidebar.